guys, it's me, Emma's Thing, and this is my podcast, That's What He Said. With over 12 years of blogging, writing, posting, and sharing under my belt, I've somehow grown a small audience who, for whatever reason, seem to really like me. This podcast is just another extension of my blog and will offer unimportant life updates, reviews on movies, books, shows, daily musings about life, in-passing commentary on current events, and of course, a lot of stories of my past, present, and future. Just try it out and see how you like it. That's what he said. Hey, oh my god, it's been a week. But for some reason, it feels a lot longer than a week. That's probably just me because I was traveling and I don't even know, but I have like all my days messed up and all that fun stuff. But anyway, hi, welcome back. I am so excited to get into it with you guys today. The first part is going to be what it normally is, which is me giving you a much too detailed and descriptive um, rundown of my life lately. And the second half of today's episode is going to be all about freelancing. And it's going to be about freelance writing because obviously that's what I do for a living. I'm a writer. Um, but hopefully with everything I talk about in the freelance section of today's episode, you will be able to apply it to your own freelance work or just your life in general. So you guys sent in a lot of good questions about the freelance stuff. So we just have a lot to cover today. So let's dive in to part one that I like to call, what have you even been doing? Okay, so obviously the big news of last week is that I finally fucking nailed my French tips. The French tips that I have been wanting for the past two times that I have attempted them. And my guy at Mini Lux finally nailed it. Pun absolutely intended. How can you not use that pun? And I am, I was just beyond happy with them. Um, at this point, it's been over a week since I got them. So they look a mess. But you know, I always, always, always get the performance polish manicures at Minilux because it's not, it's stronger than a regular manicure that chips like when you make eye contact with it, but it's not damaging like a gel pedicure and it legitimately lasts five days. I've definitely talked about this before, but it bears repeating. So the, my beautiful light blue French tips lasted a solid five days. I would honestly say like I pushed it to six and then um, on the seventh day, shit got shit got gnarly. No, but seriously, the big news of last week is that I went to New York. I had not been back since 2019 when I went with my sister and um, it was a very different trip when, when I went with her. We stayed in Brooklyn with her friend and it was much more touristy. Like we went to Central Park, we girded our loins and walked through Times Square to experience that. Um, this trip very different. So I stayed in Chelsea. And if I mess anything up with describing New York, please have grace with me because I am very unfamiliar. It's still super confusing to me. I had no idea that Manhattan itself was like an entire th thing where all these other boroughs no, no, no. Wait, hold on. Manhattan's a borough. <laughs> and I didn't know that like West Village, East Village, Lower East Side, um, uh, Midtown, I didn't know that those all existed within Manhattan. I thought Manhattan was something that existed within 
New York, which I guess it is. Okay, literally, like I just said, please just be nice to me because I clearly don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Anywho, so I stayed at the Highline Hotel in Chelsea, and I stayed there because my two friends that I was going to see, Emily and Isabel, respectively live in the West Village and the East Village, and Chelsea is pretty much like right in the middle of the two. I think it's a little closer to the West Village for sure. Um, and I was I was only staying at the Highline, Highline Hotel one night, um, and then I was switching to go stay with Emily at her apartment in, in West Village, and it worked out so well because her roommate had just left for like a week and a half long trip. So I I got her roommate's room and I got her bed and all of that. And it was very nice on my wallet because let me fucking tell you, obviously we all know that New York is expensive, but just in general right now, hotel prices are absolutely out of control. Like, oh my God, I, 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 uh, like I treated myself to this one night at Highline and I think it was like $500 and that was on the low end. But I, you know, I, I needed somewhere to stay Thursday night and I wanted to stay in a really cool place. Like I, I've never done that for myself, like, especially when I'm traveling alone. So, um, what, what turned out to be really funny though, is that as nice as the Highline is, and it really was like, of course I had some room drama, um, which I was very, very calm about. I was just kind of like, I don't know. I mean, it just is what it is. But when I, checked into my room on Thursday. It was super hot in the room. And I was like, well, I think it's because like the shades have been open and the sun is beating in here and it's like super muggy here. And the air conditioning obviously just hasn't kicked on. And maybe like they don't let it run all day because they don't want to waste the energy. And I get that and whatever. And I went out for drinks and I went out for dinner. And by the time I got back, it was 83 degrees in my room. It was pretty horrifying. Um, so I called, actually, no, I didn't call down. I went down to the front desk and told them and they had a technician like come look at it. And it was really funny because he literally walked in to the bathroom to wherever like he was had to get to the AC unit and just like took the cover off the vent and just looked at it and was like, yeah, we're going to move you to another room. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So they, um, moved me to a whole other room but then it was so funny because um the key cards that she made for me like weren't they didn't work and so I went back down to the desk and she was like oh my god I'm so sorry and like fixed them and I went back up and they still weren't working and I was like oh my god I just want I don't care what room it is I just want to get in a room and take all of my clothes off because I'm so sweaty from like the city from the room that was 83 degrees all of that Anyway, I'm skipping ahead of myself. So I got into New York and I um, checked my bags at the hotel and I went to a place called ABC Lunch or not. Sorry, it's not called ABC Lunch. It's just called ABC. Um, and it's this beautiful restaurant, like very ladies who lunch. They are, um, you know, really heavy on like the salads and the soups and the cute sandwiches and um, very like refreshing light drinks. And I went there because supposedly when my mom and dad lived in New York, which they did for like a stint, um, my sister was born in New York. So they lived there for just like a few years. And when she was working in the city, she would go to ABC for lunch. And, you know, obviously it's changed a lot since she was there. But back then it was like 
like you sat at the bar, there were stools. It was like this whole scene and she would eat there by herself um, a lot. So I went there to honor her and it was so delicious, so cute. They gave me the biggest fucking piece of grilled chicken on my salad. Like I regret that I didn't take a picture of it. Um, It was like two chicken breasts. Like I had to cut it in half. It was so much fucking chicken, which like I feel like you never get that in a restaurant. Like they really outdid themselves and I wasn't even able to eat all of it, but it was really delicious. So um, after that, I did some shopping on Fifth Avenue and I just kind of like popped in and out of stores and around three o'clock, I was able to check into the hotel, which I did and just like freshened up and got ready. And then I met up at a place called the Mermaid Inn with Becca Freeman of the Bad on Paper podcast. And I really wanted Becca and Olivia Mentor to be able to meet up for that. But Olivia literally had just gotten back from her incredible trip to Portugal. And it was just like not viable at all. So it was just me and Becca. And it was so good to see her. I've met her one other time. And it was actually when Bad on Paper was doing um, like a city tour. And Becca reached out and wanted me to be on the Dallas panel. And so I got to sit up there with Merritt Beck and um, Courtney Kerr. And um, I'm trying to remember if there was anyone else. I, I don't remember. But so that's the one and only time that I had met Becca. So we sat there and we had really delightful drinks and amazing oysters. And they had... Um, it was so cute. They had like a $3 like mini cup, like a two ounce serving of their uh, clam chowder. And it was so delicious. And it was just so good to talk to Becca. Like, I mean, she is just a wealth of fucking knowledge about so many things, but obviously like about podcasts, about the business, about books, writing, all of it. Um, And it was, it was, just super, super fun. And then she was so sweet. I I had to meet up with Emily and Isabel for dinner after Becca and I's happy hour was over. And Becca walked me to dinner, which was lovely. So we could like talk some more. And then I met up with the girls at this Thai restaurant called Thai Villa. It was phenomenal. Oh my God. It was so fucking good. Like the three dishes that we got, we got like a pad thai, we got um, fried rice, but it was Tom Yum fried rice. So it had all of those notes of like lemongrass and oh my God, it was so, so good. And then we got some like crispy pork dish. All of it was incredible. I will say that like when I got back to the hotel, my butthole did explode. Um, But you know what the thing is? I don't really know if that was Thai Villa or just a very long day of traveling and walking around New York and sweating and being in an 83 degree room. I don't know. But regardless, it was so good. And just seeing Emily and Isabel, oh my God, like Ugh, they're just the best. They're both younger than me. Isabel's five years younger than me and Emily is... Oh my God, Emily's like seven years younger than me, right? Eight? Oh my God, is she eight years younger than me? I don't know, whatever. They're my babies. Um, And I worked with both of them at Reward Style slash LTK. That's how we met. And Emily is still working there. Isabel and I have moved on. And like, obviously the two of them moved to New York um, like a year or so ago. So um, it was just amazing. So Friday morning, I had it to myself. And what was really cool about the High Line is that they have a partnership with a gym. 
And I I knew nothing about this gym. I was like, oh, I mean, that's really cool that they have a partnership with them. Like, um, you know, I, I did want to try and get like one workout in while I was here. So I might as well check it out. So you get like a day pass and it's the Chelsea Piers gym. And it is literally the most incredible fucking gym I've ever been in. I'm still not over it. I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll ever be over it. Like, it is a fucking facility. And that's the thing is, so Grossi Pelosi, who I also saw, and we'll get into that, um, he was telling me that it, that was a huge renovation project for like years. Like they literally, you know, gutted what used to be these piers um, on the lake, ocean, where am I? I don't know. Um, and you know, was going to turn into this like sprawling gym. And God, did they ever. They fucking nailed it. It has absolutely everything you could think of. Like they have a full like fucking uh, cafe in there. There were people who were like working on their laptops, like sitting at tables. It's like, you know, go like get a sweat in, do some work. I mean, they have fully stocked locker room like really amazing products and like showers and robes and um every single piece of equipment you could ever imagine and so much space to uh, use that equipment in and they had like a I mean I didn't take like as many pictures as I wanted to um because you really it's like one of those things you had to be there in person to like understand just how expansive this place is but they had like a whole separate cardio section. They have um, like a Olympic sized pool. They obviously have like tons of rooms for like workout classes. And supposedly like the workout classes are amazing and people are like very culty about them. It was just really wonderful. And my workout took me like double the time. I was moving so slow because I was like just looking around at everything for forever. So after that, um, I went and I got an, an iced coffee at Blank Street Coffee, which reminded me so much of Ola Cafe here in Dallas. And that is actually where Zach and I had our first date. Um, but I just like could tell as soon as I walked in, the coffee was going to be good. And it was. It was delicious. And then I... Um, went to Zucker's Bagels, which um, Grossi Pelosi told me to go to. He was like, if you want, you know, like a super incredible New York bagel with locks in the works, definitely go to Zucker's. And it was super close to where I was. It was so good, you guys. Like that fucking bagel was, I'm going to have dreams about it the rest of my life. And it was such a New York moment because I got my bagel and I walked out of the shop and it was raining. And I was like, oh, well, fuck me. I was going to, like, walk and, like, you know, munch on my bagel um, to go back to the hotel. But there was one high-top table that was just, like, randomly outside of Zucker's. So – and it was under, like, an awning. So I just posted up under there and I ate my bagel and I watched, you know, New Yorkers run by trying to cover themselves from the rain. And by the time I was done with my bagel, uh, it stopped raining. So, like I said, very, like – magical New York moment. And then before I went back to the hotel, um, I actually went on the High Line Trail. So the High Line, it used to be like a railroad was on it. And that was another massive project where they gutted it and like made it this incredible trail that sits right above the city. And so 
you walk in and like you can see all these different sites and all of the architecture of the buildings around but they also like there's so much plant life and vegetation it's incredible I mean it was just like it made me sad that moment made me sad that Zach wasn't with me because there's just so much architecture and um, I know that he's always wanted to see that so I tried to get as many pictures as I could but it was very very cool so after all that, I got ready I and I transferred myself to um, Emily's where I was going to stay the rest of the weekend. And then we met up with Isabel at a place called The Dutch for lunch. And um, Emily and Isabel were telling me that supposedly it's one of Mindy Kaling's like favorite places in New York. I doubted that I was going to see her. She seems to be spending all of her time in L.A. nowadays. Um, but I, you know, a girl can dream. Um, and on our walk to like Emily's location in the West Village is just so amazing. But on our walk to the Dutch, I saw like girls randomly in the middle of the street getting their picture taken um, and not like influencers or anything like that. Like I was like, what? Like, what is this like a historical landmark? Like what's going on? And Emily was like, oh, this is the friend's apartment. And I looked up and realized, yeah, oh, my God, like that is like the stock footage imagery that they used to identify the Friends apartment building in the show Friends. Um, and, you know, I I don't like Friends and I was never like a massive fan, but that was really, really cool. Um, I will try and post a picture of that in the visual guide this week for this episode. Um, so we had lunch. It was fucking delicious. And then Isabel had to go back to work. Emily took a half day. So we walked all around Soho shopping, bopping in and out of stores. Um, you know, I was like mentally prepared to spend a lot of money um, on shopping in New York. And I'm very, very proud to say that I did not do that at all. Um, and actually, one of the things that I got broke already. So I am hopefully going to get a refund for that. And then it'll be like I really got like nothing in New York. Um, and then we went back to Emily's and we freshened up and we got a late dinner at an incredible Italian restaurant in the West Village called uh, Canto, Canto, C-A-N-T-O. And we met the owner and he is just lovely. It's such a small space. I mean, everything in New York is like very small and like compact and like dense. Um, but this was just, he, he, there's no inch of his restaurant that isn't being used. You know what I'm saying? Like, isn't being utilized. Um, it was such an incredible Italian meal. Oh, my God. We got Caesar salad. We got arancini balls. We split a bottle of wine between the three of us. I got bolognese, of course. Like, it's my number one comfort food and, like, my favorite food. And it was so incredible. And then we went to the Comedy Cellar, which is... Uh, one of the most famous fucking comedy clubs in the entire world. Um, and you never know who's going to show up. Like I, you know, Aziz Ansari's new special on Netflix, he, that was at the comedy cellar and whoever was in the audience that night, like, unless obviously they're, you know, in the business and they got tipped off, they had no idea. And so I was holding out hope that someone really big would show up, but no one did. Um, and it was good, but it, I don't know, you guys. I mean, Emily and Emily and Isabel and I were like pretty disappointed because it just, there were like some comedians who just, 
it just wasn't good. And like all their shit was super low hanging fruit, like basically making their girlfriends the enemy and like, you know, just like, you know, calling their girlfriends annoying or talking about the things that they hate that they do. And I just don't even know. I don't know. I, I, we just weren't super impressed, but that's okay because I still can say that I got to go to the comedy cellar and it was awesome. And then after that, it was so late. Oh my God. It was, I mean, literally we had dinner at nine. The comedy cellar show was 1130. So by the time we were done, it was like past one. Um, but on the way home, Emily was like, oh my God, Cornelia street is literally right by here. Do you want to go and like see it? I was like, yeah, of course I fucking do. Because as most of you guys will know, but maybe some of you don't, like, I do love Taylor Swift, but I love her stuff from the 1989 album and beyond. Like, I was not an early Taylor Swift fan by any means. Um, And Lover, which Cornelia Street is on that album, like, really, I feel like that's when I even, like, got so much more into her and Cornelia Cornelia Street is an incredible song so it was super cool to go and see it in person and then Emily walked me to where Taylor's apartment was at that time she doesn't have that apartment anymore um so that was a really really cool moment and then Saturday the three of us ventured to Brooklyn on the subway to hang out with Grossi Pelosi himself, Dan Pelosi. And a lot of people were wondering how I know him. And it's a very, like, crazy small world story. So basically, I went to college at the University of Kansas, and I was really good friends with this guy there who was in the journalism school with me and, you know, my classmates. And we got pretty close while we were at KU together. And after after college, he moved to San Francisco and he met Dan because Dan at the time was living in San Francisco and they started dating. And I just remember that my guy friend wrote me and was like, Emma, I am dating this guy that literally is the male version of you. Like just the way that he approaches creativity and his personality and outlook on life. Like it's so weird. And I just know that you guys would love each other. And but I didn't I didn't end up meeting Dan until like years and years later. Um, and we finally did. And so that's how that's how I know Dan. And so we got to go to his place, which was incredible. It's it looks exactly how it does in every single video story, picture, everything that he posts on his Instagram. And he cooked an entire fucking brunch for us, which I mean, like, I shouldn't be surprised because he literally is, like, the hostess with the mostess, but he also had just gotten back from a gorgeous vacation in Mexico the night before. Um, But he was like, I don't care. Like, I was up at six. I wanted to make this really special. So we had, like, this amazing zucchini frittata and, like, fried ciabatta bread, and he made, like, a cinnamon coffee celebration cake. I mean... It was just so adorable, and I was so excited for him to meet Emily and Isabel because, you know, they live there, and it's like they maybe they have, like, another connection now and, like, someone that they can reach out to if, if I don't know, this, that, or the other. Um, and it was just so good to see him. We hadn't seen each other in three years. Like, the last time that I saw him was during my 2019 trip, and we went to Jack's wife, Frida, Jack's wife, 
yeah, Frida together um, and hung out in the city for a little bit. So that was amazing. Hearing about his life was amazing. All of the incredibly exciting things he has coming up. He is just so successful and has really made a name for himself. And it's pretty, pretty fucking awesome. So after we left Dan, we went to the East Village for the day and we just bar hopped. I met Isabel's roommate. I saw her apartment and we just kind of like bebopped around all of the East Village. And I haven't done something like that in a really long time. Like, I mean, yeah, I drink, but I don't drink like that. And so no fucking surprise. I felt like shit. <laughs> like I hit a wall at some point and the 35-year-oldness in me came out with a fucking vengeance. I was like, I my hips felt tight. I had really bad heartburn. I was so tired. Like, oh my God. I just, in that moment, I was like, I'm so old. Like, this is like what we were doing that like the the version of New York that Emily and Isabel showed me is a young person's game let me tell you like i was fine on my own thursday and friday morning but we started bar hopping and all of that and i was like can we just like get pizza and go to bed and that's exactly what we did so sorry i had to take a pause to drink some water so sunday I got home and um, it was so amazing to be home. I was I was I was ready and so excited to see Zach. And we went to Hillstone. It was it just so happened to be our Hillstone Sunday of the month. So that worked out perfectly. We had an incredible meal. We caught up. I showed him, you know, all the pictures that I took and heard about his weekend. And it was so great. And we got home and watched the Mavs win their series. And that was fucking awesome. And that was that. That was my New York trip in a nutshell. So um, I kind of slept like shit on Sunday. So did Zach. It was weird. We both woke up Monday morning at like six and couldn't go back to sleep, which is really weird for us. I was super tired all Monday. Just like I needed it to be a rest day and kind of like recharge. I because I was like barely functioning. I was able to convince myself to go to the grocery store and get stuff for the week. And I did make dinner and it was really good. So I have that. I have that to say for myself for Monday. Um, and then Tuesday, yesterday was a great day. Woke up, got all of my work knocked out before noon, which is super fucking bizarre for me. Um, and then Zach and I went to the Paul McCartney concert in Fort Worth. Um, one of his vendors had extra tickets and offered them to us. And they weren't good seats by any means. But like, honestly, I had never been to Dickie's Arena in Fort Worth. That's where Paul McCartney was playing. Um, and I feel like there's really not a bad seat there. And it was uh, it was just so awesome. Like, I'm so happy that we took those tickets it was amazing to see a legend do his thing. I mean, Paul McCartney is going to be 80 in June. What the fuck? And he's like touring. And yeah, I mean, his voice is definitely not as strong anymore. Um, but uh, it was just so awesome. And like he told stories about, you know, just like behind the scenes stuff as well. It was an amazing experience. And he played like 
the few songs I really, really wanted him to play. So all in all, totally worth it. Totally worth a late evening. Um, that drive is just such a bitch. Like, oh my God, getting there was almost an hour and then getting home was still like 40 minutes. Um, and we, we didn't have time to eat dinner before and we didn't really want anything there. So we just like shared some popcorn and then we got back to our side of the town and we were like, oh, we'll go to like someplace that's open super late. And, um, you know, it's a Tuesday night, like places are not open as late as we thought they were. So we got Taco Bell, but no regrets. It was fucking delicious. I'm a Taco Bell stan. I have been for forever and I will be for the rest of my life. So I don't think I've ever talked this fast, but that is that is the end of part one, guys. That is what I have been doing. So let's get into part two um, with what I've been watching, listening, and reading lately. Okay, so you might have caught my story on when was that? Sunday night? Was it? Yeah, I think it was Sunday night about severance. You guys listen. <laughs> I just don't understand the point of watching, you know, seven or eight episodes of a show that you are not enjoying just because the finale is supposedly incredible. And that is the majority of feedback I got when I posted about how I feel like Zach and I are like the only two people that I know who just don't dig severance. Like we don't hate it, but it's like all of my best friends freaked out about it and were just going on about how amazing it was. And so I had very high hopes. And I'm I talked about this last week on on the podcast, but I, I mean, we have gotten to episode five and we're still like, literally, what the fuck? And I will tell you what sent us over the edge on Sunday night when we watched episode four is the fucking goats. Like, I was like, no, I'm done. Like, this is like, what the fuck? Is this like clockwork orange? Like, wh- what is what is the point? What? 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 And I don't know, guys, those goats just fucking, they just triggered me I don't know why um and they triggered me so much to the point that I actually was like fuck this and I literally googled what the fuck happens in severance so um I never do that ever like I'm not that person who like skips to the last page of the book I don't I don't give myself spoilers but I just had to know I had to understand what is it that like everyone is like just just stick with it just it's a really slow burn but like the finale is worth it i'm like that just doesn't i don't have the time i don't have the time for that i don't have time to sit and watch like eight hours of television that for me is not totally captivating just because the last episode is amazing like what that i mean it's no different than like how people talk about reading books and how if you're not like grabbed by it in the first 50 pages, then you need to move on. And I mean, this is like being halfway through a book and forcing yourself to continue to get to the end, even though you're like not enjoying it and it's not riveting for you. Um, So anyway, I know what happens in the finale and very intriguing, I will say. And I'm thinking maybe... Maybe Zach and I will just watch the finale um, and come back for season two and and hope that, you know, 
it really, really kicks off and like it appeals to us more. That's kind of my plan with Severance and I'm sticking to it. And then on the plane ride home on Sunday, I downloaded the new Rebel Wilson movie on Netflix called Senior Year to watch. And it was cute. Um, I didn't get through it, though. And I had ample time to get through it. But I just I got I would say like I had maybe like an hour left because it's like a two hour movie. So, yeah, I guess I got like halfway, maybe a little over halfway. And I got distracted with something on my phone and I just like never went back to it. So I guess I didn't love it, Um, but it was it was pretty cute. As for what I'm reading, I mean, hello, the the freaking Accord of Mist and Fury is like a 600 page book. Um, But I will say that I'm officially halfway through it. And as for what I've been listening to. Same old, same old, but I will tell you guys, because this kind of falls into this category, did you know that the song Relax, the one that goes... That song is about sex. Um, This is just a tidbit that I learned this week. It is about sex. It's about coming. Um, Really, it's it's about what is now known to be um, edging. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I've never sat down and really listened to the lyrics. And I've definitely never sat down and read the lyrics. So I implore you, if you are interested to do more Uh, detective work about the song Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood to look it up, look up the lyrics, look up all of the um, descriptions about the song and people's take on it. Very interesting. And I just felt the need to share that with you guys. Okay, let's get into part three of the podcast where we're going to talk about freelance and stick around for after freelance because I did get a few more advice questions sent to my that's what he said, podcast email. And I'm going to answer one of those at the very end of today's episode. But for right now, um, let's talk about freelance, how to do it, why to do it, when to do it, and everything in between. So I just celebrated my two-year anniversary of giving my job notice that I was leaving and breaking off onto my own to do my own thing, which is something that I had dreamt about for years and years and truly just didn't know how to make happen. So let's start there. I have been writing on the side. So let's just say writing on the side. Let's call that freelance. I've been doing that since probably like 2011, 2012. And I had full-time jobs during all of this, but I started my blog in 2010. And that was really just for me to have a place to write freely and word vomit. And I had no intentions of doing anything with it. But the more into my career I got, the more I realized that writing is what I wanted to actually do as a living, but I didn't know exactly how to do that outside of um, an advertising marketing firm. So while I was 
working as a professional copywriter at a number of different places and moving around, all the while I was writing on the side. I was writing for different online uh, publications, I guess you could call them. Like I worked at Thought Catalog for a stint and I wrote so many articles. This whole time I was writing, writing, writing on my blog. Um, you know, I was able to sell a few articles to websites like Hello Giggles and so on and so forth. And then at some point when blogging, when like fashion blogging really hit the scene in a big way, I started moving into the blogging space and I got my first client who is still my client to this day um, because she wanted help with writing her blog post because even though she's a blogger, that's not her forte. She doesn't necessarily love to write and she also didn't want the writing to be boring. So she wanted to bring someone in that could add some color to it and really uh, punch it up. And all the while using, you know, SEO and uh, keywords and stuff like that. So that's kind of like how I dipped my toe into starting to write like in the fashion blogging space. And my story of freelance, I will say just like right off the bat, it's it's I feel like it's really uncommon. Like the way that I kind of fell into it and was able to do it, I don't think is very typical at all because writing for this blogger sort of is, it acted as the catalyst and she would pass my name on to other bloggers who maybe were looking for writing assistance. And I started kind of like, you know, having like a little uh, client base of these fashion bloggers who didn't want to write the blogs themselves and they wanted to hire it out. Um, And, you know, in the meantime, while I was doing that, I was getting real world experience with actual copywriting. So, you know, I'm like writing website copy and I'm doing email marketing and writing social copy and captions and all of that shit. And on top of that, I do all that stuff for myself and my brand. So I just, it's like the the freelance that I was doing for these fashion bloggers was by no means, uh, you know, paying anything outside of like my Sunday brunch bill. Um, so I just didn't see how it could possibly be a viable uh, situation for me to to live off of. But Essentially, what happened is that I think I talked about this. I just feel like I've talked about it so many times, but like, who knows who's listening, who might be a new listener. Um, I Things started to get rough at Reward Style and LTK. Um, and that's no fault of anyone's except um, our VP of marketing at the time, who has not been with a company for as long as basically I haven't been with a company. Um, so I feel okay saying that. Um, and the morale was just horrible. And we went into the pandemic and just things were not good. And essentially, I at that point, I had three blogger clients that I, one that I was writing for pretty much daily and two others that were a little more spread out and sporadic. Um, but sometimes there would be pops with them and they would need like five things in one week. Um, and I 
after a lot of thinking, I said to myself, you know, I have all this experience now on my resume. And I really believe that if I take the leap and do this and try and make it work, working for myself, that I could very possibly succeed. And if I don't, that's okay. But I think I'll regret it if I don't. And um, it, it's just the timing was right. Like, especially, I mean, I was already having all these thoughts. And then in March of 2020, we went into the pandemic and we were stuck at home. So um, that, I mean, was even more fuel to the fire and a, a sign for me. And so, you know, I waited a couple months into the pandemic and I decided, okay, I'm going to fucking do this. Oh, I should say too that I had those three clients and I got a fourth client. Like I decided before to, before I was going to make the leap that if I could just get one more client, I would feel okay financially and I would feel better about taking this massive risk. And I got that fourth client and that was kind of like the that that kind of sealed the deal for me. Um and so I I, you know, left my job and I dove into freelance. So you guys asked a lot of questions and a lot of the things that I was going to talk about anyway, you guys asked. And I feel like it's probably easier to go in a do a questions and answers format. So I will say the one thing and um, like there was talk about um, like salary and pricing and stuff like that in y'all's questions. But Specifically, I just want to mention that the smartest thing that I did for myself and my business and set me up for success was immediately hire a financial advisor. I had never worked with one. I was very foreign with the whole thing. I had no idea what was going on. And actually, my trainer, Meg of Megmo Fit, she gave me her financial advisor's name because she obviously knew that I was about to give my notice and and go off and do this. And it's who she used. And she was like, he's amazing. He's a lifesaver. I think I'll really like him. And turns out she was right. His name is Corey Nichols. And I will link his Instagram and contact information in the show notes. Y'all, he is incredible. He's amazing. You might actually even follow his wife, Colleen Nichols. She's just growing by the day with her Instagram persona. And she's awesome. And if you like me, you will definitely like her. Corey is a wealth of knowledge, pun intended. And he is the guy that set everything into motion for me. Like before I even gave my notice, I, you know, hired on Corey and we got my LLC taken care of, which that is literally the first thing I did was actually register and like create a business for Emma's thing. So I had that going for me. Um, And he's also, you know, the one that set me up with like how to manage my own 401k and an IRA account and has opened my eyes to so many incredible apps um, to keep track of my money, which is a huge thing when you're working for yourself because no one else is going to keep track for you, you know? So um, again, his name is Corey Nichols. It's C-O-R-Y-N-I-C-H-O-L-S, but I will link his information in the show notes. So 
let's start off with the questions that you guys sent in. So uh, one of the questions, obviously, that was asked a couple times was how to even start getting clients. So with my first fashion blogging client, that really just like fell into my lap. It was a perfect setup. It was the perfect time. And because of that and all of our mutual connections and all of her connections, that is that's how I started getting clients because she would share my name. And so I have to say that first and foremost, word of mouth is the best way. Like if you have someone who could vouch for your work, that is obviously the number one way that you want to get clients. However, I did try out some like freelance writing sites and like clubs. Um, Upwork, I think, is one of the big ones. I don't even know if it's like still a thing. I don't know if it's legitimate. Um, But I did have a profile on there, but it never went anywhere. Um, It I mean, it's really hard on like to me, just in my in my opinion, it's really hard to find work when you're just like throwing your hat in the ring in a massive database of all these other people who are offering the same thing as you. It's like there's no personal connection there. There's really no way to stand out. So um, I would say that, and this is specifically for writing, um, I would say that to start getting clients, a really, really helpful thing that you can do for yourself is to talk to the people in your neighborhood, like literally the places that you frequent, the little boutiques, the restaurants, the cafes, take note of what they're doing for copy, study their websites. Um, Do they have, you know, emails that they send out? I think that is a really good way to start for Uh, you know, kind of like a grassroots local sort of approach. It's low hanging fruit. And, you know, especially if you're like just starting out and your rates are going to be a little bit lower, you can offer to help these people and it'll be beneficial to both you and them. I would also say that as a freelance writer or freelancer in general, just like when you're working for yourself, you have got to very quickly get comfortable with the notion of self-promotion. The notion of self-promotion, holy shit, trademark, copyright, BRB, I need to go turn in some forums to make sure that that phrase is owned by me. But seriously, like there is no shame in plugging the shit out of yourself to whoever will listen. And that is something that you have to get good at and you have to not have second thoughts about, you know, spread the word on Instagram. If you have a website, have it be like the first thing that someone even sees when they go to your website. You are your best advocate. And so taking the time to really think through a promotional plan for your business is going to reach the right people and Don't be afraid to employ your friends and family to pass the word along for you, obviously. And this option probably isn't as popular because I know it can be scary, but you can cold call. And by cold call, I mean cold DM, cold email. Literally think of the websites or brands or people or whatever that you love and you love their tone and you love what they have to say and reach out to them. Literally, even if they aren't looking for a copywriter or anything like that, be bold 
and throw your name at their face and tell them what you can do. And you might be surprised on who bites. So another question that um, someone asked was, how much did I save up before I left my job? Like, where was I at financially and with money to feel comfortable enough to take the risk? And that is a great question. And I can tell you that I had exactly six months worth of rent money in my savings. And for me, that is what I needed to feel confident in going off on my own because I would tell myself, worst case scenario, I literally don't get one other job besides these few writing gigs that I have for these bloggers. I have I have these savings and I can use it to pay rent. And when I get to a certain point, if I haven't started like adding to my pile and I'm just subtracting from it, I might have to rethink everything and go back to corporate world. But and this is not like a hard and fast rule. I don't even know where I came up with six months. I feel like maybe I Googled it or something, or maybe just I figured that out on my own. But six months, six months worth of rent and bills, I think, all combined, I knew that I could survive on my savings if, God forbid, this did not take off and everyone hated me and no one wanted to hire me. So another big question, and like I will tell you that this question never goes away. No matter how long you've been freelancing, like I follow just a very small handful of freelance writers' accounts on Instagram, and I feel like at least once a month I see jokes about how you're like still shaking in your boots when someone asks you your rates. Let me tell you that rates are subjective. They change depending on what the project is. And you should never, in my opinion, lock yourself into rates. I feel like I learned this the hard way. At first, I thought doing an hourly rate was the smart thing to do. But then you start to realize that if you are good at what you're doing and you're efficient at what you're doing and you create good things in a short amount of time, you're not getting paid what you're worth because sometimes something will take you a half hour and sometimes it'll take you two hours, but it's still so much and it's such good quality that you're sitting there kind of stewing that what you're getting paid because of your hourly rate doesn't reflect how good the work is. So here's how I do things. For me, it's a case-by-case basis. I do have an hourly rate, and I will tell you that it started at $75, and that was being, again, in my opinion, very safe when I first started out because I didn't want to scare people off, but I felt that that was fair. It has gone up since then. I'm two years into this now, so that rate is higher. And for me, I use hourly rate when it is a job or a task that has more than one moving part. Like when it's not just, you know, three blog posts that I need to write, but when it's like a blog post and a caption and some website copy and some follow up on this and that. If I know that 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 job that I'm being asked to do is going to be at least, you know, I would say probably like three hours of my time and, and upward, that is when I use the hourly rate that I have. You always want 
to be getting the best bang for your buck. And obviously your client does too, but you have to put yourself first in these situations and say, what makes the most sense for this task? Is it a cent per word? Is it hourly rate? Is it a flat rate? You can have all different rates that cover all different types of writing because the truth of freelance writing is that there is no one way. You're writing for all different mediums. You're writing all different lengths. Sometimes you're writing a tweet. Sometimes you're writing a 1,000 word blog post. So it's just so smart and will cover all of your bases and get you the most money and what you're worth if you have a, a rate sheet dependent on what the task is. So for me personally, if it's a handful of long form blog posts, I'm going to do my cent per word model because I want to get paid for every single word that I'm coming up with to write to make this something people want to read. If it's a more like short term situation and it's also more short form writing in that situation, then I do my hourly rate. And then, of course, if it's a long term project that has a million moving parts and you're going to be working on this for, you know, two, three, four weeks or more, that is when you're going to want to discuss a flat rate with the client and negotiate what that number looks like and what is going to be fair for them and for you and your time. And I wish that I could sit here and tell you exactly what you should be charging, but it really just depends on so much on your experience, on your efficiency, how good you are, all of that. So what I can do is give you super, super loose parameters that I think are good parameters to live by when you're freelance writing. I would say that if you are at my level, which I would consider a very seasoned writer who has been at this for 10 years or more, that your cent per word should probably be 50 cents, if not very close to that. Your hourly should be well over $100. And your flat rate, that is completely dependent on what the project is. But with flat rate, don't be afraid to ask for more and always aim higher because that is so much of your time. That's so much of your work. You're probably losing out on different projects that you could be making money off to focus on this long-term project. So you should be well into the thousands with a flat rate. So a question that I got a few times as well was about healthcare and how that all works. Now, I'm not in the healthcare industry Healthcare terrifies me. It confuses me, which is a whole other issue with America. The fact that I don't even feel confident enough to talk about it or offer any sort of insider suggestions says everything that we need to know about the healthcare system in America. Anyway, I digress. The healthcare when you work for yourself blows ass. It sucks. I can only tell you what I've done for myself, and that is I, from the very beginning, I did weigh my options, and when I realized that I was going to be paying, you know, at minimum $500 every month for health insurance and probably more like $600, I could not swallow that pill. I just couldn't do it. And I talked to Corey, my financial advisor, about it, and I just determined the thing is, is knock on wood, 
I'm a relatively healthy person. I do not go to the doctor outside of my annual visits or my twice annual dentist visit. The medications that I'm on are somehow extremely affordable without any sort of coverage at all. And for the record, I'm on birth control, I'm on the generic of Prozac, and I'm on Trazodone for sleeping. Those are my three uh, prescriptions. And all of them are, I think my birth control is free, and I'm pretty sure Trazodone and Prozac might be like $20 each. I don't know. Don't quote me on those prices. But I just, for me personally, how my life is, I looked at all of that and took into consideration what that $600 a month would even be going toward. And I decided to sign up for catastrophic insurance, which is basically a very very generalized insurance plan through this company called National General Health. And it's literally their plan if something fucking horrible happens. That is when I'm covered. Other than that, everything is out of pocket. And that was the best thing for me to do. It may very well not be the best thing for you to do, but I just think you have options and you need to weigh them. So the next question was about scheduling your tasks and hitting your deadlines. And I will say that when you work for yourself and it's only you and Oh my God, Cece, honestly, I'm trying to record a podcast. I'm sorry that being a dog laying in the closet and sleeping all day is so hard for you. Anyhow, before I was really interrupted by my groaning dog, um, when you only have yourself to rely on and you're a one-person show, hitting deadlines and keeping track of everything can be very overwhelming, especially if you're killing it and you have lots of stuff going on. So what I can tell you is that the biggest favor you can do for yourself as a freelance writer up front. And it's going to be really hard to do this because when you are taking the risk to go off on your own, it's fucking terrifying. And literally, you are going to want to say yes to every single thing that falls on your lap. And you're also going to say yes to being able to turn it out the same day. You have to set boundaries with clients very early on. And you, even if they end up not being a long-term client, even your one-off clients, you need to be realistic with yourself and you need to be realistic with them. Yes, everybody wants everything right away. They want it now, 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 now. You have to be the one to self-advocate and say, I can get that to you in two days or five days or I am on a two-week turnaround schedule right now. Does that work for you? The more that you do that at the beginning, the more you are setting yourself up for success and you're also allowing yourself breathing room so you don't freak the fuck out and have too much going on at once. Also, getting a massive whiteboard and writing down everything that you have going on is and can be incredibly helpful, especially if you are a visual person, especially if you're a list person. For me, I've done the big whiteboard. I've done a small whiteboard. And I have found that really what works best for me in terms of my deadlines and keeping track of everything that I'm working on is writing it by hand in my daily planner. I don't know why this works for me so well. It just does. I create little bubbles next to all of the tasks, either for that day 
or I go ahead and space them out for the week. So I know that today I'm focusing on this, but by the time I get to Thursday, that other thing is due. That is just what works best for me. And again, like it's all so subjective, especially because no two clients are the same. No two writers are the same. There can be a ton going on. There can be not a lot going on. And everyone everyone keeps track of themselves differently. But the most important thing is to figure out what method works best for you. And like I said, being very communicative with your client about what they expect for deadlines and what's actually realistic. And if you do that, it's going to work out. And not only that, they'll hopefully respect you even more and understand that just because they forgot something and they're super last minute doesn't mean that you have to drop all of your shit to provide that for them. Okay, I'm going to touch on two more freelance writing points before we get into the very last bit of today's episode with my advice segment. So the first freelance bit I wanted to touch on is how to not panic when there's no work coming in. And as a freelancer, this is to be very much expected. I, for me, freelance has always been when it rains, it pours. And when there's nothing, there's nothing. And then when you get one new something, you suddenly have five new somethings. And that is just the ebb and flow of freelancing and working for yourself. You're going to have insane weeks where you can't possibly get everything done and you are cursing yourself and ruining the day that you agreed to take on everything that you did. And then you're going to have another week where you are literally sitting there twiddling your thumbs. You're not hearing from anyone. No one is biting. You have nothing to do. And you're starting to create a plan B. And you're thinking about whether or not you should pick up like two part-time jobs out in the real world. The first thing I will tell you is you got to breathe. You got to calm down because this truly is how freelance goes. And you got to get comfortable with that sometimes very forceful ebb and flow that shakes you to your core. There will always, always, always be work, especially A, if you're good at what you do, and B, you're making sure to proactively look for it. And I know that you can get burnt out on trying to find new stuff. But in those instances, go back to what I said when I started talking today about freelance and how to look for new clients and, you know, put feelers out there. But also don't be afraid to go back to past clients and ask them, hey, like, how are you guys? Is there anything new that I can do for you? And then also let them know that you're more than okay with them sharing your name to other people in their field that might be looking for something similar. Obviously, you only want to do this with past clients that were awesome and the work was awesome and you did awesome and everyone felt really awesome at the end of it. I think that with American work culture especially, it is sometimes the weirdest feeling to not be putting out fires and stressing out and having emergencies with work. It can be super uncomfortable because that's not what we have been trained to feel is being comfortable and not being completely 
bogged down. And I think that's a really beautiful thing about when you work for yourself and you are a freelance writer or creator, you can lean into those moments and it's okay. I promise you it's okay and there will be more work. The only time that I would panic is if you're going on like a month or two and you have done nothing, then maybe we need to have a heart to heart. And the last thing I want to talk about is someone wrote in and said that they love to write, but they have no experience and they have no idea where they would even start. And to that, I say, that is how I was. That is literally what was happening with my life back in 2010 slash 2011. I was working in a sales job. I had no writing experience professionally, but I knew I wanted to do it. And I had no idea where to start. I didn't even know how to get my words in front of people who would give a shit. And that's why I started a blog. And I know that blogging has changed so much from what it once was. I understand that. It's a completely different everything. However, when you have a blog or somewhere online that you literally pay for that URL and you pay for that domain space, you own that. And that is the most powerful thing that you could possibly own in a world that is very oversaturated with words and places to see and things to read and all of it. So if you like to write and you would like to explore that and see if maybe doing some freelance writing on the side is a viable thing for you, I would highly suggest buying up some URL so you have that space online and writing. And you can write about your life or you can choose specific topics that legitimately interest you and act like you were assigned with a magazine to write about this specific topic. Do your research. This would be the perfect point to plug a freelance writer that I just admire so much. I think she's absolutely incredible. We are connected in like a very small world type of a way. And actually last year when I was a freshly like a year into my own freelance writing journey she was doing workshops and classes and I actually signed up for her classes and they were so incredible like they're definitely more for beginners um, because I have been at this um, there were some you know topics just a lot of focus on like getting started and how to but it sounds like there are oh my god sorry I literally had Instagram pulled up because I was going to tell you her handle um but it sounds like there are some of you who are interested in just like getting started at all and have no idea where to start and I'm definitely not the expert on that and I just think Caitlin is an amazing resource her handle sorry I have my sound on is Caitlin Page Brown and it's Caitlin C-A-I-T-L-I-N Page Brown and it's all one word and you can follow her um, actual so her that that's her personal Instagram but she also has one that's just for copywriting and that is by Caitlin Brown and I will link both of those in the show notes, of course. She's just absolutely amazing and an incredible resource. And I can't recommend her enough, but I just did several times. So 
go look for her. Okay, guys, this is the very last couple of minutes of today's episode. It's a long one. Thank you for sticking with me. I really hope that you have gotten some really awesome nuggets of knowledge out of it. We are going to end on an advice question that a reader sent in to my email. And just as a reminder, I really would love to have these little advice segments at the end of every episode. So if you have a burning question that you want a highly underqualified, highly opinionated answer on from me, please feel free to email me at twespodcast at gmail.com. My inbox is open 24-7, and I would love to give you some advice. So this week's question says, hi, I've been following you on Insta for a year and a half or so and started listening to your podcast in the last month. I love it. I look forward to it every week. I thought I'd write in a question for your advice portion of the show. I'd be interested to hear you talk more about your experience getting on antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications. I read in your blog post that you initially went directly to a psychiatrist to get prescribed, but I'm curious if you manage this now through a primary physician or do you regularly see a psychiatrist? I've been wanting to look into this for way too long, but always get overwhelmed with what the best route is to get on the right medication. Would love to hear more of your thoughts and experience with this. Thanks so much. Um so sorry I just got an email um thank you so much for your kind words at the beginning of your email very much appreciated I do have an entire blog post about my whole journey with getting on antidepressants getting off of them and then getting back on and I wrote that I want to say in 2018 so it's a few years old now but it's still completely relevant and like literally documents my entire experience with all of it. I will link it in the show notes. Um, But as for how to like even go about getting on them, I can only speak to my uh, journey. And that is that I, I did initially go to a psychiatrist, like not a therapist, not my doctor, but a legitimate psychiatrist in Dallas when I was 26. Um, And I, at the time it was kind of explained to me by my therapist that she could not herself prescribe drugs because she didn't have that capability. And so I would have to go to an actual psychiatrist to get, quote unquote, evaluated and get on something. And then we can like kind of take it from there. And that was the one and only time that I went to a psychiatrist. And I actually think now that I'm like hearkening back on on that situation. I think that the entire time I could have talked to my primary care physician, but I wasn't made privy to that. Like I didn't know that that was an option, even though it makes complete fucking sense because, you know, they know you, they have a good idea of what you need. You you can tell them how you're feeling. You don't have to necessarily go to a legitimate psychiatrist. So, um, now and since i can remember like ever since that first visit to the psychiatrist my prozac has been subscribed by my primary care physician and i've never had an issue with her about it at all and if i've ever changed the dosage like if i've ever been talking to my therapist and she has suggested I go up or down or something over the course of the last several years, then I just relay that information to my primary care doctor who 
you know, trust me and trust how I'm feeling and what I need and what I don't need. And we kind of just adjust from there. So I'm pretty sure that like, especially if you have a very, you know, good relationship with your primary care doctor and they understand you and you've been seeing them and all of that, it should not be an issue at all. Um, So I would really, I would open the conversation with them and see where that takes you. And they may very well say that you do need to go to a psychiatrist because they want you to get like a legitimate evaluation or they may be like, oh yeah, let's, you know, let's try you on some stuff and, and see what works. I will say that Several of my friends are on um, some sort of antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. I mean, honestly, like who the fuck isn't nowadays? But none of them went to an actual psychiatrist. I actually I now that I am thinking about it, I'm pretty sure that they are all on something by way of their gynecologist because who the fuck knows hormones and moods and depressive tendencies and anxiety better than the fucking gynecologist. I mean, come on. So I would say either talk to your gyno or talk to your primary care doctor for sure. I feel like me being sent to a psychiatrist was like a very old school antiquated way to go about that. Um, And I'm not sure that the therapist who sent me there really did the right thing. Um, So yeah, I hope that helps at all. Well, guys, this concludes another episode of That's What He Said. As always, I thank you so much for listening. It's so appreciated and really gives me the juice to record week after week. If you want to take the time to give me a five-star rating and leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, that would be incredible. I will be forever indebted to you. And besides that, I hope you have an amazing weekend, an amazing start to next week, and we will meet back here next Thursday. Bye. Bye.